Hi FI Europeans, some people are really good at the natural fit in building up and managing a bunch of properties. They like to interact with people, workers and the local stakeholders of their real estates. They dig deep into the knowledge domain of real estate and take the time. So much time that there is not much time to learn about other asset classes. Like me, not everybody currently has the time and ambition to dig deep into do-it-yourself real estate investing and want a kind of managed solution. For those, there are real estate ETFs, property peer-to-peer -peer lending and local real estate agency available to choose from, all with their respective advantages and disadvantages. Additionally to these options, there are also solutions where there is a lead investor and you can join them as a smaller fellow investor. They get your capital and you get their knowledge, market access and network of experts. Sounds too good to be true? Mostly the problems are in the details of course, so let's have a look. Today I will have another attempt to find a managed solution for real estate investments and I talked to Chris from Whitefire Equity. He's an American living in Switzerland, so yeah, just listen to the episode and let me know what you think in the comments on our website and in the Facebook groups that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash community. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your host, Matthias. Hello, FI Europeans. Do you like to diversify your portfolio and earn a nice and steady income? With LandSecure, you can invest in agricultural projects and support European farmers directly starting from 1st of March. It's a great alternative for payday loans with a loan term from 6 to 12 months. These loans are secured by crop insurance, personal guarantee and a three-way agreement. Visit financial-independence.eu slash LandSecure or click the link in the show notes to learn more. So hello, FI Europeans. Today, we want to um, dive again, once again, a bit deeper into uh, the real estate space. Um, we want to talk about uh, how you can uh, accelerate your FI journey with um, the use of or investing into apartments. And today with me is Chris from Whitefire Equity. Say hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. Grateful to be here with you. Uh, and and as I mentioned, um, Chris is um, yeah just um, is living in in Europe um, and was before that living in in the US and is uh, living in Switzerland. If I uh, remember that correct. correct, and yeah, just to tell us a little bit about your story, how you uh, went to Europe, what's the difference uh, differences you see in people pursuing your FI on both sides of the world. And yeah, just let us know a bit more about yourself. Wonderful. Well, like I said, Matthias, I'm, I'm grateful to be here because I love sharing my journey through FI and real estate. Um, and, and as you may hear from the accent, uh, I grew up in the States. I, I am an American. And about 21 years ago, I, I left. I, um, my company sent me abroad to Australia. I lived there for a few years. And then I, I just, became a nomad. I, I got a backpack and I traveled um, through India, Asia, and then Europe um, for, for a little bit over a year, just backpacking. And after that, I went back to the States and, and I realized, you know, the world had changed. It was much bigger than I ever thought before. And I had lived and worked on two continents. And I thought, well, I want to live and work on a third before I settle down. And slowly but surely, I made my way to Switzerland. I, I, I came to Europe. I learned German. I settled in, got a job. 
And now, 16, 17 years later, I'm still here. So I, I, um, I feel at home here. I love Europe and uh, made my roots here. Um, and then, you know, with real estate and um, passive investing, it's something that I just, I, I love kind of that idea of wealth creation, um, sharing that with others and, and helping people find their way to financial independence. And um, I also read that you, um, before you started with real estate, also um, had, as a part of your journey, figured out also other types of assets like uh, Forex and RIPS, oh, yeah. whatever yeah. this is, and uh, algo trading and so on. So <laughs> why didn't it work? That well, you know, um, I've always been kind of uh, from, from early on, one of those guys trying to figure out crack the wealth equation, right? How do people get wealthy? Um, and we all have different definitions of what wealth is, right? But, but how do you actually make money beyond your job? Um, you know, and you, you growing up, you hear these things, you know, put your money to work for you. And, and so what does that mean? I tried it all, right? I did, I coded Forex uh, robots. I did commodity trading with oil. I did um, stock investing, drip investing, um, stock analysis, uh, played it all and saw basically the ups and downs. Um, some days I was just ecstatic and thought, oh, I'm a, I'm a genius, right? The next day I would see it wiped away and, and just that emotional roller coaster. Um, I realized that's not passive wealth investing. That's a lot of gambling. Some days you're lucky, some days you're not. But to create a consistently improving track record, um, to be able to sleep easy at night, it, it turned out for me that wasn't the way. And I kept looking, um, did a lot of research, followed the, in the footsteps of others, and and realized you know success leaves a trail. If you follow that trail, you'll figure it out. And um, came into real estate. And um, I mean, aren't there also other people who? Who make money with forex? I don't basically don't know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on the day. There's somebody who made money one day and then you know yeah. lost a lot the second day. Actually, what's drip investing? Just for my curiosity, uh, dividend reinvestment program, right? So um, buy a dividend paying stock, let the dividends reinvest into that stock itself as dollar cost averaging, mm. um, and then you know you live on the the income coming from that dividend. Mm. And why haven't you um, just, I mean, everybody's promoting this ETF route, especially also yeah. in the United yeah. States. Why not that? Uh, I mean, it's less you work, know, I think. I like ETFs. Um, and I think it's a great place to put some of your, your portfolio. But it does not compare, in, in my experience, mm. to multifamily apartments. A couple of mm -hmm. reasons there. If you're committed to the stock market, and you don't want to do all the analysis, try to cherry pick a stock. Great. Mm -hmm. ETFs are the right way. It's very cheap uh, in terms of costs. It's a good way to go. Um, but real estate is on the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We always need a place to live. And there are multiple ways that you get paid with real estate, which you will not get with an ETF. The second thing about ETFs I really personally didn't like was I saw in 2008 
I had money in ETFs. I had money in stocks. And I saw that wiped out very quickly, right? Within a day, two days, things were just wiped away. A second thing I don't like about investing for financial independence in the ETF route, it's very much the philosophy of how do you achieve financial independence? And the traditional way we are taught is, you know, save up 25x your annual expenses, right? Mm -hmm. Save up this mountainous lake of money. And then you can drink 4% of that every year and you will more or less indefinitely be able to live, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what the Trinity study proved, right? That 4% over 25x of your annual expenses, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. My view to that is, I, I just don't like the theory, and 2008 showed me that, of liquidating my assets to live and, and consume that. Um, I didn't want to have to sell a, a, a cash-flowing asset to produce uh, cash, which I then consumed. Mm-hmm. So maybe to give you an example, think of a, a mountainous lake. So you see the Alps behind me. Um, think of a huge lake that sits there in the top of the mountains. Every year, that lake is filled with melting snow, which flows into the streams and multiple streams fill that lake up. What I like to do is rather than just waiting for that lake to fill up to be 25 times my annual expenses, um, I like to just be able to make sure that those streams pay my annual expenses. I can then live from those streams. And if I have one more stream than I need, the streams will continue to fill in that lake. And and so that's the way I approach it is that don't save up enough to retire, make enough that you can retire immediately, Um, make enough from passive income to retire. And that's where real estate comes into play that you cannot do with ETFs or um, dividend reinvestment programs. You still need some money to to buy the the properties and to invest, um, which is kind of... Filling is it isn't that kind of filling the lake? Um, um, in a way, yes, absolutely. But it's faster, right? In my my view, I believe it's a lot faster to do it that way. So we can go into say an example because I know it's kind of you know, illustrative. It's figurative when you think of a lake and filling it up with streams. Let's say you need fifty thousand euros a year to cover all your expenses and have the lifestyle that you wish to maintain for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Now, if you need to have 25x of that 50,000, right, what you're going to need is 1.25 million saved. Now, Mm -hmm. it takes a long time, in my view, to save up 1.2 million. And you're going to have to live pretty frugally, scrimp by, make sure you can achieve that for a, a long period of time to hit that number. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would be able to keep that 50000 for the rest of your life and, you know, have a nice life. Now, let's look at trying to do the same via real estate versus just putting it into an ETF and waiting. Mm-hmm. If you do that. And let's assume, you know, in most of the real estate deals I see, you're going to get 8% a year cash on cash return meaning if you put in 10,000 you would get 800 a year and then a capital event at the end of it right so let's just focus on the cash flows 
to hit 50,000 uh, annual living expense coverage, you would only need to invest 625,000. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to invest a lot less um, into real estate to get that type of cash flow. And then you would be able to drink that stream every month that the income is coming into your bank account. You'd be getting 50000 a year. At the end of the term of the real estate investments, right, if you do a syndication, you would then see a capital event to where your 625000 invested grew, even though you drank all the income coming in. And that's the thing I like that you can achieve with real estate, but you can't really see happen with ETFs. And um, you, you, you mentioned um, this uh, syndication. So what is it compared to just buying uh, real estate? Okay. So a syndication is when a group of investors uh, come together to buy a property that they could not do alone. Um, it's private equity, if you will. Um, and it allows individuals like you and I to go at the same level, the same scale that institutions, um, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds invest in. And there's a lot of benefits that you know uh, can be achieved when you, you go in at scale like that. Um, as an individual, very, very few of us um, have that type of money to be able to deploy. And if we could, we could maybe buy one apartment building, but you couldn't buy multiple apartment buildings. So you wouldn't be able to mitigate your risk as well. And um, yeah, I also um, know that, that it might be better to have a multi-tenant uh, house if, if, you, if you want to buy real estate because you mitigate some of the risk uh, yeah. than only having one uh, tenant. And uh, also some shared costs you can uh, share or distribute between the tenants. Uh, You're but absolutely that's, right. that's also a lot of money, especially if it's your first real estate deal, then you, uh, uh, you don't want to get such a big uh, house or make such a big, big deal. So it would be better to, yeah, to join forces with other people. Just, I, you know, I, maybe just to interject there, um, yeah. I'm with you because I, I started off in real estate as um, buying my own house, right? And then I rented that out. And I thought that was the only way to do it, you know, years and years ago. And what I realized is the real wealth, right, where all of our European pension funds are invested, right, is in these multifamily properties around us. And I never thought it was possible for individuals like us to make that, to, to, be in the same league there um, until I until I did figure it out. Mm. I would say there's probably three differences between um, going with a syndication or going with, say, a do-it-yourself, buy a single-family apartment or a single-family house and rent that out. Mm. And one is when you have um, an apartment or a house, it's a binary decision, right? It's either rented or it's not. Mm. If it's rented, great. Um, you get income, you can pay the mortgage, you can pay all your expenses. If it's not rented, um, it's probably going to take you a couple weeks to get it rented. And during that time, you have to pay the mortgage, the electricity. You probably have to go in and clean it, redo it, etc. So it's binary, yes or no, that's it. With apartments, when you have you know four or 500 apartments in a big complex and it spans acres of land, 
if you know, five, 10, 50 are unrented because new people are coming in. That doesn't matter. You, mm-hmm. you have enough income to, to pay for the properties, continue to keep the investors happy. So that's the first thing, binary. The second one is scale. To achieve, say, that, that figurative $50,000 or 50,000 euros of income, um, you're going to need a lot of homes. By, and let's assume you get 500 euros per house that you have, right? As, as free cash flow after all expenses, you're going to need to go out and buy what? What's that going to be? 20 homes? No. So you're two, I'm sorry, that's 200 homes. You're going to have to go out and buy 200 homes. That's quite a lot. A lot of legal paperwork to sign, a lot of closing costs, a lot of uh, homes to find. And then the management of that's going to be quite a, quite, intensive i would say which brings me to the third point that is active it's it's replacing your job with another job it's not passive um you're not going to be able to like stock investing where you also have to research all day long and so on absolutely and my goal of financial independence is to be independent right not to just replace one job with another job and um maybe um just to get a better understanding so what kind of investments are that um, that you're talking about sure is it uh, is it like a center park so i i maybe an example i i was also seeing some um real estate deals where um where you could get a share of some apartment complex or you can buy a, a, an apartment in a center park which is these uh, ugly vacation forms from the netherlands that I don't want to uh, travel to, but you can buy a house there. And I think they offer it like a C- 3%. Um, but if you want to sell, for example, um, you only have one, you, you only have center park to sell, sell it to. So the, mm. the price is maybe uh, lower than if you could, uh, if you have more people who can bid on that. Um, so um, yeah, just tell us a bit about these types Good. of investments. Good question. Examples. Yeah. Um, so in the U.S., so in, in places such as, you know, Texas, Florida, um, if you've traveled there, Georgia, you'll see large apartment building complexes. Some of the ones I own, um, as in a case study I published, right? You can see that on the website at whitefireequity.com. But some of those are, you know, maybe eight, nine buildings and they have, you know, 60, 80, 100 apartments. And some of those I own have, you know, 400, 500 apartments, you know, six swimming pools, great retirement communities or gated communities, et cetera. Mm. And so the, that's the type of uh, environment you have. It's large scale. It has on-site property management and maintenance, meaning when you drive in there, you go to the leasing office and you see, you know, somebody standing and sitting there at the desk, they'll show you the showrooms, they'll show you apartments. They do the background checks. They help you with everything you need. You have Amazon delivery centers there where you can go put in a code and pick up your Amazon packages, trash service, laundry service. Uh, It's a place where many younger professionals uh, many blue collar laborers, right? Police, um, nurses, teachers live, uh, safe, clean, nice environments. Um, and all the maintenance and, and security, everything's taken care of. 
And so that's where, you know, a lot of younger people will be living or again, blue collar uh, professionals and where we would then want to sell it. So, so before going to the sale, you mentioned 3% in the Netherlands. Typically, um, in the syndications, we'd see a lot higher than a 3% return. Uh, and, I, and we can talk on that later. Um, so, so there's that aspect as well, right? It has a higher performance than the stock market with lower volatility. And so that's one of the reasons I like real estate versus um, EFTs. And the third area is about how do you exit? How do you sell? And this is where many of the people we would sell onto would be institutional investors, uh, pension funds, um, depending upon the size and scale of the property, right? Um, those funds would go for properties that are, you know, 60, 70, 100 million plus. Other investors would come in at properties that would you know, be between, you know, 5 million up to 15, 20, 30 million um, in, in terms of total market value. So there's enormous amounts of buyers and sellers uh, when it comes to real estate. It's you're not locked into uh, like you might be on a PDP platform or you might be in these types of vacation situations to whom you could sell. Mm. And so so there is a company um who is managing this the park and also is um, yeah doing the project management or doing the concept work in the beginning. And they sell a part of it to institutional investors, a part of it they maybe uh, invest themselves, and then they sell also a par part of it to real estate, uh, re um, retail investors. Why aren't they just skip the retail investors? So why, why can you join? Not exactly. So let me, let me clarify. What we would do is, is you know, my investors and I, uh, we'd go in and we buy an apartment. So if you look at the case study that that's, was published, right, it was a, I think, a 69-unit uh, apartment in a very good area of Dallas, Texas, next to major employers, great shopping, all, all the things you'd want to see. I think we bought it for a few million, um, raised that money from... A, a handful of investors, you know, 30, 50 investors, right? We'd go in, we put our cash in and the bank finances the other 80% of this. We then run it, own it, improve it. So we, we increase the operational net operating income, right? By putting in energy efficient lights, renovating, increasing rents and, and making it a really good place for people to live with lower costs and higher income. So the way you want to run any business. Um, at the end of this, we then sell it on to other investors or, or the next people who want to own this property um, and maybe don't want to do renovations, don't want to continue to squeeze uh, operational efficiency out of it, but are looking for stability and long-term stable cash flow. And so that's where, you know, there's different... Um, different opportunities always around. And that's where you would sell, my companies would then sell this to another person. All, all of these investments outside of, say, a sovereign wealth fund or a pension fund, and for that matter, would use invest, uh, investors' money. So pensions funds have you and I as investors, right? Mm -hmm. And they're using our money to buy a real estate that pays them 10%. So they can pay us our, our money for the rest of our lives. Sovereign wealth funds would come in and buy these insurance companies own lots of real estate, especially across Europe. 
And they would not take you and I as individual investors to do this. They have enough money on their balance sheet to go buy these in full. What you and I do is we form our own little company through a syndication that gives us the purchasing power to go do this on the same scale as um, other funds, other insurance companies uh, like BlackRock, et cetera. And then we can sell it on to them when, when we want to exit. Okay, so, so there's companies who aggregate the retail investors basically and then uh, collectively buying parts of the building basically. Or parts yes. Of the, is it a, um, what do you own then actually as an investor? Do you own a part of a company or do you really own a part of the property? So what do you get? So you would own um, shares in a company that owns the property. Mm -hmm. And the reason there is you, The property would be owned by a holding company as a limited partner, just like in a, a corporation or a firm, you own shares where you're a, a limited liability investor. You then get the benefits from this without having to take care of all the bank loans, the administration, um, the property management, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, how can you, I mean, one reason, one part of the reason why you use real estate is, here, is also that you can Yeah, you go to the bank, get a loan, and yes. you have the le leverage. Um, if I would not buy real estate, uh, but company shares, I wouldn't get uh, such a huge loan from the Correct. bank. Just I would just get a commercial loan or something with maybe higher uh, interest rate. Um, is it possible to also have some leverage or some to take a loan? Yes. Yeah. So if you look at real estate, I like to say you get paid by real estate mm -hmm. by getting paid. And, and PAID stands for first, you're going to get principal reduction, mm -hmm. right? So we take a loan, um, we put in, let's say, 20% of the value. So assuming we're, it's a $10 million property, mm -hmm. we put in 20% to buy it. We're going to need to have $2 million across all the investors, right? Mm -hmm. That $8 million is coming from the bank. Well, every month we're collecting income from the tenants. We're paying off part of the loan and paying out the rest of the investors. Part of the loan that we're paying off is the reduction in our principal of that loan balance. So that's the first P in paid. The second is um, appreciation, right? So we all know inflation is there. A real estate appreciates. Yes, it'll have ups and downs, but on average, the trend is always up. And with apartments, as opposed to single family homes, you have what you call forced appreciation because it's valued like a business. Meaning if you can increase rents and decrease costs, you increase your overall operating income and all businesses trade on a multiple of operating income. So by effective management, you can, you can increase the appreciation that happens in a building. Um, you cannot do that with a single family home, right? The value of your home is related to the homes around it and the average sale price. Mm -hmm. So that's the A in paid. The, the I is income, right? So the tenants pay uh, rent to live there. We pay the bank and then we pay the rest to uh, investors. So we as investors get to have, you know, a nice Between, I've seen six to 10% per year income based upon our investment. 
So again, that $2 million invested, if you put that in, let's assume you're going to get, uh, you know, between eight to 10% income on that every year. And that's how you achieve that financial independence through the streams of income. And so that's the I. The last is depreciation. And that's the D in paid. So all physical assets can be depreciated, right? Your cars depreciate, your house depreciates. Depreciation is a tax deductible expense. So real estate is tax favored, meaning, yes, you get all this income, you pay out your investors, but the depreciation is large enough that it looks like you make a taxable loss. So it wipes out part of that income on a tax basis. Um, and it means you pay very little tax, uh, if at all, on real estate. And so that's how I call it paid. Again, principal, appreciation, income, and depreciation. Um, and then, of course, you get leverage, right? If we're going to buy a $10 million building, we don't need $10 million. We need approximately 20% of that. You cannot do that with, with stocks. Uh, I don't know any bank that would let you go buy 10 million of Apple stock or Amazon, and they'll give you 8 million of that. Hmm. that that's true. You can leverage, but not that much. You should not <laughs> leverage that much. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not saying 20% is the right number to leverage, right? It, we do that through the underwriting, but just for uh, easy calculations here. Basically, as I understood from what you said, just said, is that I cannot go to the bank and yeah. take a loan, but Uh, you you are doing it basically. So you collect the uh, money from from the yeah, syndicated investors, mm -hmm. and then you you have maybe two million, and then you get the eight million uh, from the bank. So basically, I cannot increase the, um, the 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 return on my own capital because I I don't get a loan, but I can get make more money because you are putting in the effort to improve the building, to manage it better, and to, to sell it hopefully also for a higher price, right? Correct, yeah, yeah. You benefit from the purchasing power of all your friends and colleagues, right? Mm. And we, we all benefit collectively by doing that. So it's, it's a little bit like on peer-to-peer -peer platform where you also can only spend your own money, <laughs> um, but yeah. um, you also have this collective um, power. And um, just a small question in between, how are these syndications? This is a proper term of the financial world, so it must be somehow regulated? Is it yes, absolutely. So um, syndications were made possible by the Jobs Act in the U.S. Um, passed many years ago, which basically created the ability for, for private equity, right? This is you know a private equity syndication. Where, where groups of investors that are either um, we've had pre-existing relationships or they are sophisticated investors or accredited investors come together and, and invest in properties. Um, it's under the SEC regulations, uh, so it's controlled by the Securities and Exchange Commission, and there is a, you know, a, a very strict rules around how you can access these deals, um, who it's eligible for, etc. Mm. And in many of these, um, you know, well, let's say all of these I've been part of or, or take part in or, or do myself, you get monthly P&L statements, you get the rent rolls, you get a complete transparency of what's happening. And in the funds that, that I've created that do this, these are independently audited. Um, they are 
money is held with a custodian, not with, you know, an individual like me or anyone else. So there is this entire protection process around it. Mm. And um, so that is a kind of a framework, a legal framework, how to invest in real estate. So mm -hmm. and, and you are kind of a provider or an aggregator, or is there a term also for, for what you're doing, a broker maybe? No, no. So I wouldn't um, classify myself as a, a broker or, or anything like that, because those are you know, very official terms that you have to have certain licenses for and qualifications. What I do in my, my partners do is we find the deals, we underwrite the deals. Um, you know, in underwriting means we, we make the business case, we make the assumptions behind it, we see if it makes sense to actually invest. We then would raise the money uh, to buy the deal. We put in our own money for the deal. We then um, take care of all the paperwork. We then buy it, run it, manage it through professional management companies and operators and manage a business plan. Uh, make sure the investors are happy, the bank is happy, and the tenants are happy. Mm. So you could say we take care of the everything from beginning to end. So as general partners, that's what we do. The passive partners, the limited liability partners are, are um, passive and ride the wave and, and get the benefits. So, so in, in, in investing in real estate, is, is, it's really um, a lot of work. So if I would do it myself and um, so what I don't, also don't want to work, invest in real estate because it's so much work. Yes, it is. <laughs> I also don't really don't want to invest in, 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 in Germany. I would like to invest in Germany, but uh, it's really hard to find deals that, uh, that are worth uh, doing it. I've also heard that in the UK or maybe other countries like US, That there's more return possible but for me as somebody from germany to invest in the us it would be insane uh, amount of work uh, you have to have um, legal uh, advice tax advice you create a company um so you you probably need somebody who's experienced with it with it And um, for this, this service you're offering, as I understood, for, for people across Europe or across the world, what is the fee structure that we um, then also have to pay for it? Is it a one-time charge or is it a commission or how is it structured? Yeah, good. Good questions. Um, you're right. I, I've looked at in doing the same thing in Europe, here in Switzerland, in Germany. I haven't found it to be, let's say, as easy or even possible to come close to the returns that that we can get in the U.S. And I think it's because, I guess it's multiple factors, right? The rates are lower, the market, the, the things are more expensive. Um, the market of most of the buildings here is already owned by uh, pension funds, insurance companies, etc. And in it's, the tax environment doesn't facilitate this as easily, perhaps, as U.S., so across the markets we've looked at, um, we, we've remained with the U.S. just because, you know, if, if you can get 80, 80% over five years, you know, on average 16% plus average annual returns um, in capital events at the end of that, it, it, it's hard to beat that elsewhere. Now, for a European to invest in, in the U.S., it's completely possible. It's, it's possible for anybody to invest in the U.S., um, through forming a limited liability company, LLC, if you will. Um, and it's very similar to a GmbH in Germany or Switzerland, right? Or an SA in France. 
And, and basically, this is a legal entity. Um, it has its own tax ID. It, it takes the money and it will invest um, and take care of all that and insulate you as an individual from that. Um, setting up a, a, an LLC in America, I think, costs couple hundred dollars it's not it's not too bad um and once you have that you can then get a u.s bank account swift enabled and be able to transfer your money back and forth so it's really a it is a kind of a one-time fee to get yourself set up to be able to do this and actually what you'd see is it doesn't matter if you're a european or an american uh, most people invest through uh an llc not in their own name Mm. so so Regardless of where you live, we'd be approaching it the same way. And and uh, are there prerequisites prerequisites for people who want to join? Is there? I've read that that you need to be kind of high net worth individual or is this a sophisticated investor? What what does it mean? What is a sophisticated yeah. investor? <laughs> Good question. Um, under SEC regulations, right? And this is a regulated investment. Um, mm. It's just like any private equity investment. There, there's a couple things you, couple, I guess, criteria you have to pass. And depending mm -hmm. upon how this investment's being um, offered to the market, but let's just take the, the easiest one, which would be you should be an accredited investor. Uh, and under U.S. guidelines, that's somebody with a single. If you're if you're single, not filing as a married couple, uh, you would have to be able to say, "Hey, I, I make two hundred thousand a year of income, or I have a million dollars of of net worth." If you're accredited, if you're a couple, you'd have three hundred thousand of income a year. The other way is, you know, again through the Jobs Act, it, it, a lot of this opened up, which is you can be a sophisticated investor, but not yet so rich and wealthy, and and that means you are educated in the investments you're you're you know what you're doing you've read a lot about the investments you uh, have some experience with uh, exotic investments like forex etc you know how markets work and you have a pre-existing relationship with the person so you are a member of my website you and i have spoken a few times i understand what you're looking for in your investments your risk profiles We've had a few conversations and, you know, a relationship that you say, hey, I, I trust Chris. I know what he does. I understand how this works. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to invest. And I think that's a really good thing because it's different in a couple ways than getting online, clicking buy and buying a share of, of Apple. This is not a point and click type of uh, investment like you can do on the web. It is illiquid, right? So it's you're buying into a private equity syndication where you and the other investors and I are, you know, committed to having our equity tied into this for a period of, you know, let's say between three, five, six years. Uh, that's usually how long the, the business cases run. So five to six years would be your your target time frame where your money's committed. Now, yes, you're going to get cash flow every month into your bank account but until you get your capital back until we exit that business plan you know it's going to be again five years so that's something to be thinking about why, why don't you sell uh, why do you sell the property after five six years why not just keeping it uh, what's what's behind good, it? good questions really um I, in in some cases you will find there are longer term 
business plans, right, which focus more on um, almost an annuity type of investment. So it might be held for seven, eight, nine years. What you see typically is after running through the numbers around the period of five, six, seven years, a um, couple things have happened. The world has changed. Um, Technology has changed. You need to renovate again anyways, right? The standards you put in five, eight years ago no longer are the top standards. Mm. Uh, so you're going to need to raise capital to do a bigger renovation again um, so that you can continue to raise rents and make it modern. That's something different in, say, the U.S. than we see in Europe, whereas European uh, buildings have been around for hundreds of years Right. And you're not going to be renovating them. The apartment communities don't get renovated every five, six years in, in the buildings we're buying. They might have been built in the 80s, maybe in the 90s, and they might not have USB plugs in every room for your your iPhone. They might not have Wi-Fi built into all the all the houses. So that's some of the stuff that we'd go in and do. OK, so so then you just need to. Um, yeah. Starts a cycle again of renovating yeah. and yeah. Uh, making a business plan. So it's really it's really a business and uh, not just uh, property buying a property and and rent it out basically. No, correct. And that's why that's why I like it because what you will see and it ranges property to property, but typically you might get fifty percent of your total return from cash flow, and the other you know fifty percent could be from a capital event at the end. So that would mean, you know, you bought the building for, um, I don't know, uh, 10 million. You, you, we would sell it for, you know, 14, 15 million uh, after about five years. Cool. And um, yet now you, you have also mentioned your, your case studies that people can also um, check out on your, on your website. Yes. Uh, where also see, they can see some numbers and it's a, it's a nice uh, project that is um, laid out there. I mean, that looks really good from the numbers. What was your worst things that happened? I mean, you maybe also started with the syndication and not everything worked always totally fine. So what, what, what was really the terrible things that happened along the way? Um, so it depends on property to property. But, you know, if you let's focus on the, the case study here, we can talk to this one first. Mm -hmm. um, this case study is one of the properties that I had. Um, mm -hmm. I bought it in 2018 end of 2018 and held it through 1920. I still own it today. And I share the absolute honest numbers that I put in, the money I put in, the money I've received out, how the whole thing works. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a, you know, a perhaps one of the special, uh, special returns that just shows how good this can perform, especially in a black swan event, like, you know, 2020 was for, for all of us with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, And in this one, you, you can see it, right? We talk about um, January, for example, January 2020, the amount of income I received was lower than a pro forma. And we go into why, what happened? Then we talk about March, what happened in March when um, COVID was really recognized, right? We, we knew March 2020, things changed, travel stopped, things stopped, how that impacted the cash flow. So that was perhaps one of the ones where I was worried a little bit, right? I knew the property wasn't going to be lost. My capital was not at risk, right? We would we we owned the property. We could pay the rents, no problem. Could we 
continue to get as high as we expected in terms of cash flow, um, in terms of the income. And what you saw is in January, or in year one, right at the end of 2019, I was off by a couple hundred, so probably two, three percent less income than than pro forma predictions. Um, and then at the end of 2020, we had done a cash out refi. We had really done all the capital um, events were done. We renovated it. Rents were raised. It was a great property. And we were able to take out, pay back investors what sixty percent of their total investment after two years. Mm. Today, I have eighty percent of my investment back from what the, the money I put in, and I continue to receive about five thousand plus per year on around ten thousand still in the property. So I'm looking at a fifty percent return every year. And again, all those numbers are are there. The address of the property is there. Pictures are there in the case study. This is one of the, the, the almost the, the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Um, where he had a golden goose. This goose is just laying golden eggs every year. And uh, I love seeing the money come into the bank and know, okay, well, I have. I think many of our listeners <laughs> loving this, uh, uh, love to see this. Um, and, and how many syndications have you invested now over the time? Since when when did you start with it? Uh, uh, I started this a few years ago, and and before that, I um, owned you know single family homes. I've been do, doing real estate for, I guess eight years. I think um, I'd have to count back. Uh, owned about twenty single family homes and sold all of those at but one, and moved everything to syndications. Uh, and I've been doing um, real estate investing in, in commercial, so multifamily apartments for I guess about three, four years now. Mm -hmm. and, um, and is there anything terrible that happened? In, <laughs> try to um, find out anything that, that, no, that could mean, happen or people need to prepare themselves for because usually it, yeah. often it, it, it works but yeah. there's also sometimes uh, on the left or right uh, end of yeah. the normal uh, curve uh, there's also things that can happen absolutely so let's talk about those risks because it's important All of us understand the risks to anything we do, um, and there certainly are risks. Fortunately, none of those have befallen me. But some of the key risks are, well, it's illiquid, right? So mm. if you need your money next year, it's really hard to get it. Um, you're going to have to find somebody who wants to buy your, your, your investment. The second risk I often see is um, what I call a... a a dangerous loan environment, right? So in 2008, 2009, mm. capital dried up. There was there were no loans to be had. And the business plans might have been um, due at that point, right? To to That's when you would exit and you would sell to somebody else, but they couldn't get a loan. So now you were stuck with it and you had to pay back your loan. Mm. Um, now in multifamily properties, There were only, I think, 2% of all apartment buildings which were foreclosed upon compared to, remember, all of us with homes and the stories across Spain and in the U.S. and everywhere else. It was, it was a real tough situation. Apartment buildings luckily did very well because people who lost their home moved into apartments. 
Mm-hmm. Again, because why? We all need a place to live. It's a, it's one of the basic principles behind Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So in a way, we mitigate this risk is to make sure if it's a five-year business plan, um, I would have, say, eight years, nine years of capital runway underneath us. So there's never a point in time where you'd have to exit the business plan and you have to pay your loan at the same time. A third risk I see when I'm looking at properties and underwriting is the assumptions. Um, Mm. The assumptions behind the underwriting of the model. People predict rents will continue to increase at a very high rate, or they predict they will be able to sell the apartment at an extremely high multiple from what they bought it at. And there are very good indicators out there, uh, databases and sources and and historical information that that gives good guidelines about proper underwriting. Mm. Um, So these are the ways to mitigate risk. I I think with what I do and and my my partners, one of the key things we look at is capital preservation, right? Going back to Warren Buffett's first rule, which is, you know, don't lose money. We, you know, maybe instead of uh, an 80% return, you get a 70% return, 75% return. I'd rather do that than to ever say you'll get 90 and lose everything. Yes. And, and also the retail investors, they don't take a loan uh, to invest. So that's Correct. why they, yeah, there's Correct. no margin call at least. I think, yeah. Or is there any chance to get a margin call from this contract? Um, um, it's theoretically possible for sure. Right. Um, the banks have that into the contracts, um, where that would happen if you took very high leverage and the value of the property decreased, right? Because various reasons the bank would say, Hey, we are not comfortable. We want you to put in more equity. And then, uh, I've seen some people have to do a capital call. They would call their investors and say, hey, we need extra equity. Do you want to put it in or should we bring in new investors for this? Mm-hmm. Now, again, these are investments that nobody ever, ever wants to have to do that. Um, and it's mm-hmm. the underwriting that I do make sh- we well, we try to avoid that ever occurring. Yeah. So typically, you know, I gave the example of um, 80% bank and 20% um, investor. That's the extreme. Typically, you would see much more equity Mm. and less debt just to balance it out, which maybe lowers the overall return slightly, but it gives more security to people. And for me, capital preservation is is my key. And and how how much money should people have in in the networks to start with investing in these real estate syndications? That's a really good question. It depends if you are a an accredited investor, then yeah, you should say, hey, you know, you're a million dollars net worth. If you're a sophisticated investor and and looking to start, you you can start with. There are no official requirements around a net worth minimum. What I would advise investors is, this should be part of your portfolio, and you can feel you have to judge yourself how you know, educate yourself make sure you understand how this investment works um the benefits to it and understand the risks as well and on my blog i have lots of articles about the risks the benefits it's completely transparent and then have some conversations you know set up calls with myself and others really get to understand it and try it go with go with one property see how you like it and then 
look at um, how you maybe want to scale to achieve your goals. I started with my first investment, um, single family homes, and I was not close to you know being a sophisticated uh, an accredited investor at that point. Mm. Okay, um, then then just one question because we're running out of time a bit. Um, just from from the audience, so I think one question from Christoph we already asked, and then there's from Alva a question that is uh, why are they better than just uh, why are they better than just buying in REIT ETF? Great question. Um, the difference you're going to see between, say, a REIT and anything like this is, you know, maybe a P2P is the same, right? This is small private equity. You get complete transparency into how the property is performing. You know the property that's being looked at in many cases. You know the operators or, or and, and the, the, the general partners, myself. And it's a, again, private equity. It's a closed group of people who are aligned around the same interests. You understand the underwriting behind it, why these assumptions were made. There are, there are the abilities to reach out, have phone calls, follow up with, with myself or others. What's going on here? Um, how does it look, et cetera? With a REIT, uh, for example, and I've owned those as well, um, I don't know what they're buying, what cities, how they chose the properties, why they chose them. I, I don't know how much they're paying their executives um, and how much money they're wasting flying around the world in first class. I, I just don't know that. And the returns are typically going to be higher as, as a result of some of that. So from, from the REITs, the returns are higher or from... from no, sorry, um, from, from uh, private equity syndications, right? Because you see this in the um, private placement memorandum, the, the legal documents that, that make you a partner in a companies, you mm -hmm. see every line item, every fee, you, you see how all of this plays out. And you as a partner own part of the company, you have, you're getting a lot of these returns directly to you. So basically there's a read um, there you get like a two to six, I don't know, uh, percent and in the, in, in the um, syndication more than 10, 11, 12. Yeah. So some of the ones, um, if you look at the case study one, I think that was a 92% total return over five years. Right now, I've gotten 62% return after two years. So I'd say on average, I'm ahead of the game on this one. Most of the multifamily investments we look at would be, you know, let's say 12, 15, 16% more annual cash on cash, annual average returns, mm -hmm. total uh, equity multiples of, you know, 70, 80, 90%. Okay. So basically the answer is you, you, you might get higher returns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Long winded yeah, answer, no, detailed no, no, answer no, to no, a simple no, question. Um, um, all right. Um, so um, Chris, uh, thank you very much uh, for being here. Um, I'm pretty sure that also people are interested so they can head to your website and uh, read the case study and your blog articles about risk and so on. And yeah, if you want people, I also invite them to discuss in the Facebook group about it. Yeah, please. And yeah, so thank you very much for educating us and uh, have a nice day. Thank you. I'm so grateful to, to have had the opportunity to educate the, the people. I hope I've inspired action. If you have questions, please reach out whitefireequity.com. 
talk to me on the Facebook group. I'd gladly help you guys and answer any questions you may have. And we, we also link it in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>